0: Thank you, Mercy and Elizabeth. That was, that was wonderful. I'm going to invite you to open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the seats, uh, seat pockets of the row in front of you. You might have to get up to reach for it because I know our rows are kind of spread out. But um, it will be helpful to you to follow along with us today in the text as we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. I have um, preached on this passage a number of times over the years. In fact, I figured out that it's been every five years. So the last time was 2016, and the time before that was 2011. And so this will be the third time. And every five years, I, I, I keep coming back to this text uh, because it's so important. There's something really vital for us here that we have to continue to be renewed in. And there's so much here to be, to be seen and to be uh, encouraged by that we'll never run out of things to talk about as we come to Hebrews 10. Um, the book of Hebrews was written, we don't know who wrote it. Some say Paul might have written it, and that's a possibility, but we're not really sure who wrote this this letter. And In some ways, it's better not even to call it a letter. It's more like a sermon, a really long sermon. I think it's, what, 13 chapters? But it's written like a sermon in the message that it presents, and we're not precisely sure who it was written to originally, maybe to to Jewish Christians living in Rome. Uh, That's one likely possibility, but we're not really sure of that either. The kind of uncertainty of all this just makes it all the more welcome to each of us because it's written to a very wide audience, including us today. But um, let me read to you now Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Father, as we come to your word, I pray that um, it will be alive to us, that we will draw near to you as we uh, consider what is spoken here. Lord, show us the things we need to see. Help us most of all to know your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're only going to get halfway through this uh, passage this morning. I think next week we're going to finish it. But um, we will look primarily at verses twenty or 19 through 23 today. And I just want to start by saying it's been a tough year for churches. It's been a tough year for churches. We um, call the church the church. Because it comes from a Greek word, ekklesia. And I've described this before. Ekklesia is that word that the early Christians took as their own to describe who they were. And what it meant was known in that day already as simply a public gathering of people. That's what it means a public gathering of people. And so the Christians did this so much that that became their name, the church, the ecclesia. So you can imagine how hard it is on the ecclesia when they're not allowed to be ecclesia or when we're encouraged or told, in some cases, not to gather publicly. And we're now more than 10 months into this. It's been a tough year for the ecclesia. It's been a tough year for the city on a hill. Jesus described his people as a city on a hill that is to shine brightly for all the world to see. And so when that city on a hill doesn't have all the lights gathered together, it's harder to shine as we should. And I think we could also say that just the reputation of the church has is, 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 is been undermined in this time and and. We're struggling as a church. But we also remember what Jesus promised in in Matthew 16. Remember when he said to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We hold fast to that. That is our promise. That is what we remember uh, in these times. It's been a tough year though for churches every year, everywhere. It's also been a tough year for people personally. It's been a tough year for all of you, for some more than others. Maybe for some of you watching right now online, you have been stuck in your home now for more than 10 months. That's a long time. Maybe it's just been difficult for you to to go out. You're, You're still fearful and concerned, and it's hard because... Many of us are on edge. Some are lonely. Some are just uh, family tensions continue to, to mount and, 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 and the pressures continue to increase. Some, because of the isolation and the discouragement, are falling into really dark places. And I, I, I see this. I know this. I'm aware of this. And some of you maybe know it more than others, but I have to tell you it's, it's happening and it's hard. And the picture I keep seeing in my mind is this picture of like a fire in which the coals are at once hot because they're together, but then when you separate them, you spread them out, you, you move the logs apart, what happens? The fire goes out, the, the coals begin to cool. And that's where we've been now for 10 months or more. The the, the coals being spread, and it's hard to keep that, that flame lit that that warmth that we once had. So all that's kind of in my mind as I've thought these past few weeks about where we need to go here in the last two weeks of of January. And I think Hebrews 10 helps us tremendously. It takes us back to some of the basics. And I know at first glance when I read this, it probably sounds kind of confusing. Like, what is he talking about here? But as as we start to break it down, I think we'll see in it actually something very helpful, a a roadmap to renewal. And so whether you're new to the faith or whether you've been at it for a long time, there's something really important here for us to renew us, to revive us, to get that flame burning brighter again, because we remember Jesus' promise that the gates of hell will not prevail Against his church, but what we're going to see here this week and next are four basic instructions, and they're they're outlined really in verses 22 through 25, and uh, most of these begin with this "let us" phrase. The first is "let us hold fast." Then it says, "Let us." Um, I'm sorry, not "let us hold fast." Let us draw near. In verse 22. Then, verse 23, let us hold fast. Next week, we'll look at let us consider how to stir up one another. And then ultimately, let us uh, not give up meeting together. So, today, we're going to look at drawing near and holding fast. Drawing near and holding fast. And I want us to focus now on verse 22. I read it earlier, but let's look at it again. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The challenge here is to draw near. To draw near. What does it mean to draw near? I don't know that we usually use that phrase in our everyday language. Draw near. But it describes that idea of coming into someone's closer proximity. I think about my daughter Alice. She's two. She's going to be three in April. And uh, every time I come home after a, a long day, she sees me. She runs to me. She wants to draw near to me and not just to come close, she wants me to pick her up, and not just pick her up, but she wants to put her arms around my neck, and she gives the best little two-year-old hugs that she could ever get. That's drawing near, isn't it? It's to come closer. It's taken on a whole new meaning in this age of social distancing, hasn't it? We're told not to draw near to anybody. We're told to separate ourselves from everybody. And isn't that just so hard to do? We want to draw near. God created us to draw near to one another. But when we see it here in verse 22, when he says, let us draw near, who is it that we're supposed to draw near to? Well, we're to draw near to God. He's talking about drawing near to God to God our Father. And, and, and what a great privilege that is. What a tremendous gift. What a blessed opportunity to draw near to almighty God. The one who made us. The one who made all things. And, and, and what, a, what a privilege. What an honor. And yet I, I, I realize that I think most people really don't know what that means. What, what does that really mean to draw near to God? We might feel kind of afraid of that idea. What would God do? Uh, Can I really draw near to God? I can't see God. So how do I draw near? Well, verse 22 describes a little bit about this. How to draw near to God. He says, let us draw near with a true heart. With a true heart. Well, what does that mean? I think it means coming to God with integrity. It means coming to God with honesty and sincerity. Not deceptively, but realizing that he sees everything. He knows everything about us. And and so we can come near to him with a true heart. Then it says to come near to him with a true heart and in full assurance of faith. In full assurance of faith. That means to to have confidence, to not doubt, to be sure that what we believe is true and that, that he does call us into his presence. Third, he says we are to draw near with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Now, that's an interesting statement Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. What is an evil conscience? Well, I would say that's a conscience that's not working the way that it should be. We have a conscience and our conscience can can remind us of the things we should be doing or uh, check us when we're doing something we shouldn't be doing. So an evil conscience is a malfunctioning conscience. Maybe one that's just not working at all or maybe one that's encouraging us to do the wrong things. Maybe it's one that it kind of tempts us in the wrong direction. But a pure, uh, a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience means that God is cleansing our conscience, helping it to work as it should. And then finally, he says, bodies washed with pure water. What does that mean? I think it means more than just having, you know, our, our hair cleaned and getting the dirt from behind your ears and being Uh, all all washed up. It it means being presentable to God. It means being put into that that order, that cleanliness that allows us to come into the presence of God. So with a true heart, full assurance of faith, hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, bodies washed with pure water. Sounds like a really high standard. And we look at that list and say, ooh, I don't meet the qualifications. Hmm. Maybe this drawing near to God thing isn't going to work for me. That's when we go back to verses 19 to 21. I read it as we started here, but I didn't review it yet. Let's look at that now, because if we look at that list and say, I don't meet these qualifications, I have no confidence at all that I can draw near to God, if that's how we do it. Look at 19 to 21 again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, there's the confidence, right, to enter the holy place, so there's confidence to enter there, From what? He says, by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. What is he talking about here? He's talking about confidence that we can have. And that it's not by our meeting of these standards. By our um, rising to the occasion. By our very best efforts to do everything right, but it's by the blood of Jesus that Jesus sacrificed himself. He gave his life for us. That makes the way open. He says in verse 20, by the new and living way, there's this new way that Jesus makes so that we can draw near to God. He is our high priest, verse 21 says, so that he, um, he makes that opening for us when we cannot do it in ourselves. And none of us can. None of us are qualified, but he is qualified to be our priest, to be our sacrifice, and to be the one that leads us into the presence of God. We have to remember that. We have to affirm that again and again and again. I like the way it was once described. Christianity shouldn't be spelled D-O you got to do this and you got to do that. It should be spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. It's what Jesus did when he died for us on the cross, when he rose from the dead. And he gives us that life. He gives us that true heart. He gives us that full assurance. He's the one who sprinkles our conscience clean. He is the one who washes our bodies pure with pure water. And so what do we do? We look to Jesus. When we want to draw near to God, we look to Jesus. Hebrews writes about this all the time. Uh, In chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. And how do we do that? Verse 2, he says, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one we see. He is the one who allows us to draw near and come into the presence of God. I shared last Wednesday the uh, quote from J. Gresham Machen. It is so good, I couldn't wait till Sunday. I put it in the Wednesday update. But so many people struggle with this question of assurance, of salvation. So many people look at their lives and say, Oh, I'm a mess. God doesn't want to save me, or he doesn't want me to draw near to him. J. Gresham Machen said this, When you want assurance of salvation, think not about your faith, but about the person who is the object of your faith. about that? The person, Jesus, he is the one who saves us. He is the one who makes us clean. So we fix our eyes on Jesus. We look to Jesus because he is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. When we're in a dark place, when we're in a discouraging time, when the light and the fire seem to be going dim, we need to look to Jesus. Uh, A favorite story of mine is about Dr. Gardner Taylor. He was a preacher from the time of the... Uh, in the 1930s and 40s. And he lived in New York City. He was used to preaching to congregations in the city and uh, wealthy urban uh, people. And yet one summer he took a trip south, and this was in the midst of the Great Depression. And he, he went down to Louisiana, and there was a small church there out in the country, and they asked him to come preach. And they said, you know, we've we've finally got electricity so you can come and preach at an evening service. And so Dr. Taylor said, okay, I'll, I'll be there. And he goes to this little country church down in Louisiana somewhere, and, and, and he finds that the, the building's not very big, and they do have electricity, but it's just one light bulb hanging from a wire down in the center of the sanctuary. And the people were all gathered there, and there wasn't much light to see by, but it was enough. And Dr. Gardner starts to preach his sermon and he gets about halfway through it when all of a sudden there's a pop! The light bulb blew out. It was the only light bulb they had. And so the whole church is sitting there in the dark and there's this awkward silence as nobody's quite sure what to do and the young Dr. Taylor wasn't sure what to say and Finally, from the back of the sanctuary, an old man and one of the deacons of the church shouts out, preach on, preacher. We can still see Jesus in the dark. And isn't that true? We can still see Jesus in the dark, no matter what the darkness may, may be in your life, in your situation, or for us as a, as a church or as a community or whatever it may be. We can still see Jesus in the dark. And he is the one we look to. He is our hope. So we draw near to him. We draw near to him. And once we've drawn near, we need to hold fast. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us, to hold fast. Look at verse 23 now of chapter 10. Let us hold fast The confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. This instruction to hold on or to hold fast is used at least five times in the book of Hebrews. It's a theme that just keeps coming back around and around. And it's so important, isn't it? To hold fast, to hold on, to hold tight, to not give up, to not lose confidence. And what does he say that we are to hold fast to? He says to hold fast to the confession of your hope. The confession of your hope. So what does that mean? The confession, it's, a, it's a, our statement of belief. It's what we know to be true. And so in this case, I would say that's what we just looked at. Verses 19 to 21, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. That, that He has made us, that He has loved us, that He has redeemed us, died for us, and bought us back, that He has given us life, that He has given us His word. And that we have these promises to stand fast on These, these are our, this is our confession. this is what we believe. And it is a confession of our hope, he says, a hope. That is what we live for. It's what we look towards. It's what animates us and gives us direction. So many people live only in in perspective of the past, but we are called to look to the future because that is our hope. Our hope is in the fact that He has promised to make all things new, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, that He gives us new hearts. That he replaces that heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh and heart of life. That he makes our communities new, our families new. That he makes all things new. That's our hope and that's the confession that we we hold fast to. I hope you can hold fast to that. I hope you've been holding fast to that. This is what we must call ourselves to, to, to hold fast to that again and again and again. Every sermon Every prayer, every Bible study is a call to hold fast to the hope that we have in Jesus. And how are we to do it? He says, without wavering. Without wavering. And why can we do it without wavering? Because he who promised is faithful. Not because we're so good at not wavering. No, because we're all pretty good at wavering. But he who promised is faithful. He who promised is the one we keep our eyes on. He is the one we seek. He's the one who allows us to hold fast. Can you hold fast to this confession of hope when things fall apart? when sickness comes, when you lose the job, when the conflict becomes unbearable. This is when the real test comes to us, isn't it? And you know what we find? We find it's not so much us holding fast to him as he holding fast to us. He is the one who is faithful. And yet it's hard, isn't it? It's hard because it takes time and we live in a a microwave culture we want things now, we want it quick, we want it fast. We live in a microwave culture and if it doesn't come quickly, we give up. We turn away. We live in a remote control culture. If we don't like it, we change the channel. And sometimes things that, that God calls us to hold fast to our uncomfortable or difficult or things that we'll struggle with. And our temptation is to just change the channel and to find something else for a while. Online church has a lot of people flipping the channels right now. I saw a recent study about how, you know, a lot of people are are supposedly still attending church online, but (laughs) who knows what church. And uh, it's easy to just find what what. Tells your itching ears what you want to hear. But we've got to hold fast in a microwave and remote control culture. And Hebrews 10 challenges us to do that. Verse 39, the very last verse in this chapter says, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We need to hold fast. Henry Dempsey was a pilot who flew a small commuter plane between uh, Portland, Maine and Boston, Massachusetts. Um, A little over 30 years ago, he piloted a flight in which I think somebody must have gotten sick or something because the cabin was sort of stinky. And uh, on his flight back... I think, to Portland. It was just him and the co-pilot on the plane. He decided he would hand the controls over to the co-pilot, and he'd go in the back and see if he could clean up things a little bit. And, um, well, he was towards the back of this little commuter plane. Uh, it's not exactly clear what happened, but uh, they hit some turbulence. And one thing led to another, and he was, he, he crashed into the door and the door of the plane was on the side of the fuel sillage kind of towards the back and somehow it hadn't been latched correctly and the door came open and henry dempsey flew out Five thousand feet 200 miles an hour the pilot the co-pilot who's now piloting the plane immediately realizes something's gone wrong and he's got a little alert on his Dash telling him that a door is ajar. A you know, it means one thing when it's your car, but boy, when it's a plane. He radios the tower and says, get the Coast Guard out, because they were out sea." But on further inspection, discovered that Henry Dempsey hadn't fallen, but was still hanging on to the door. 5,000 feet, 200 miles an hour. This guy is hanging on for dear life. It took 10 minutes to circle back to a runway. And they say that the way he was hanging on was such that um, with this door hanging down, when they land on the landed on the runway, you know, those doors are designed to be at ground level. So he was right there at the level of the runway. And so he had to somehow, going still 100 miles an hour, even when they were touching down on the runway, pull himself up just high enough that he wouldn't hit the runway. They said his head was less than a foot from the ground when they touched down. Henry Dempsey survived. But the rescuers had to pry his hands off the door. He couldn't let go. He had held that tight. They said it was years before he ever flew a plane again, and he got the nickname Hang-On Hank. But talk about hanging on, holding fast. Sometimes we hit turbulence Sometimes we might even get thrown out of the plane. But can you hang on? Look at the alternative. Henry Dempsey knew it was coming if he didn't. The challenge here that we're given in the the book of Hebrews is to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Too often it's too easy to let go. Too often it's too easy to just... Give up, but don't give up. Remember, God is holding you. How do we draw near? How do we hold fast? This has been a year of testing in both of those areas. We've been told not to draw near. We've been told to separate And we've been told that it's easy to just let go and do things different. And to many, that has meant to let go of their faith as well as many of the other things that they did. But we will see as we continue this study next week that God has given us some very specific ways to help us draw near and to help us hold fast. To draw near to God, we're going to have to draw near to one another to hold fast. We're going to have to hold fast to one another. That's where this is going, and that's where we're going to see uh, things progress next week. It takes community. It takes friendship. It takes the love of another person to help us do this. So I just want to ask some questions. Who can you talk to about the things that matter most in life? Who is that person that you can go to about the things that mean the most to you? Do you have a friend? Do you have a family member? Do you have somebody that you trust enough to talk to? And then the second question I have is this. Is that person drawing near to God? Is that person holding fast to God? If they are, they will be a tremendous help to you. But if they aren't, how much help will they offer when the time of testing comes? And I want us to consider these questions more as we, again, come back to this next week. But we need to understand that God designed the church, the ecclesia, the community of people, for a very specific reason, that we come together to encourage and to help one another draw near, and hold fast. And we need that now more than ever. There is some fear and misunderstanding about how this works, but I hope that we will gain greater clarity and understanding as we go forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word of hope and encouragement. I thank you that you have called us to draw near to you and that we can hold fast to you because of what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, there's, there's a roadmap for this. You have shown us how and you have given us what we need in the church, in the community of believers. Help us to find that and to be strengthened by that now in these hard times. In Jesus' name, amen.